Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Sat down with Pepper Hastings, my longtime friend and colleague uh, from almost exactly 35 years ago. I was going to say 25, been 35 years. In 86, he came to work. Uh, great contributor, and he talked about how his role and uh, how the team got up and running with um, on-site grading, uh, which really took uh, BGS to the next level, and some of the innovations that uh, Pepper and Mark and others uh, came up with. So thanks, Pepper. Uh, thanks, uh, sponsors, uh, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, obviously, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huntington Scott Auctions, Top Spinini and Upper Deck. So uh, that's it, and here's the discussion with uh, with uh, between Pepper and me. Thanks. Welcome, Pepper. We're going to back to the beginning of BGS and how it unfolded in those early years. Some decisions were made, and you were in the thick of it. In fact, I think you were the impetus for some of these things that really got BGS rolling. We were crawling, then we were walking, then we were running, then we were sprinting, and it's been a marathon. But uh, welcome, Pepper Hastings, and share your part of the story for those early days. Of- yeah, thanks, Jim. It's, it's great to talk about BGS, mostly from the on-site and show perspective, which was what I was a big part of, me and the team that went on-site to, you know, great on-site. Just from a historical perspective, BGS started in 1999. We did our first on-site grading show at the 2000 National in Anaheim. And we were woefully ill-prepared for that, but that's okay. We had to start somewhere. BBG, Beckett Vintage Grading, started in 2001. And then late in 2001 was when Rock Hard Review was started. But I think, Jim, people don't understand uh, what it takes to take an on-site grading group on the road to a big show. Just to start with, you got to have enough people to work the booth in the front. And then you probably then you triple that amount in the back uh, because you can't be doing both. But what people don't think is you've got to rent a safe to keep the cards in. And that's always going to be a local vendor. You've got to rent compressed air because the slabbing machine has to rent. There's another local vendor. And so all of a sudden you've got all these local vendors that you've got to get set up with ahead of time. They've got to get there on time. If something happens, it puts you behind. Just the enormity of all these grading companies, and everybody did a great job that went on site. Hats off to every grading company that ever went on site to National and tried to make that happen. Well, did PSA do it a couple of years before us? Yeah, the PSA was first, no doubt. And they were great people to compete against and, and, and still are a very good, well-run company. I pulled out of our archives from some of my Beckett files. And in 2005, I have a spreadsheet that had more than 80 grading companies on it. And it was an alphabet soup, every imaginable acronym for grading companies and 80 of them. And look around and see who's left. There's PSA and and Beckett and a a few others, but really those are the ones that have stood the test of time. What did we do that was different than PSA when we did our setups at shows? Because when we had a different mix of business than they had, they were pretty much purely grading. And we had a lot of other activity in, in the front of our booth of our corporate presence. We, we sold back issues, we sold current publications, but was BGS a game changer for us? It seemed like it was. Yeah, um, correct. And we also had Philip Amon, which was a game changer for us. So he was the guy that everybody loved to work with at the booth, very personable guy and still communicate with him frequently. One of the best uh, teammates I've ever had for sure. On, he was a road warrior. Really? But yes, we definitely had magazines. We had a website. We had a lot of other stuff going just besides grading. What really changed the game 
was rock hard. That was a real game changer for on-site grading because of all the things I described to you before and all the costs involved with all that. Our accountant, Chuck Robeson, was saying, how are we going to do this at these smaller shows? A Robert Morris show or a Pittsburgh show or probably anything except the national almost. anything except the national or or sometimes and so we are you given Chuck the idea to come up with something because I've given you the credit for that yeah Mark wrote the wrote the paper on it Chuck made us do it he didn't know what we needed to do he just knew we needed to quit spending so much money on the come and when I say on the come is we would try to get pre-orders for a show and try to justify spending the upfront money of getting people there but we didn't always know if we would get that business. <clears throat> so I think I might've wrote the original paper, Mark Harwell, who was president at the time, he modified it and came up with some of the labeling, the real nuts and bolts of how to make a tamper-proof label. And we rolled out Rock Hard Review and it changed the game as far as where we could go and grade cards, which we could go anywhere. And we did. Travel and not only took it to the tertiary shows, but I did a grading event in Terrytown at a ice cream shop owned by Steiner Sports. And so it was like me and Mark Anderson, Went up there. He stayed in the back. I stayed in the front and we graded cards on a week before a New York show. So it allowed us to get more out into the mainstream and not have such a giant event. So I think Rock Card Review was huge. I agree. And of course, right after that, in the spring of 2002, we went to Graded Card Review, which was very controversial at the time. We started it at a Tennessee show in the middle of nowhere, a very small show. We just thought we'd try it out at a smaller venue, but we knew PSA was going to be there on site. It was us and them. And Joe Orlando, who was president of PSA at the time, when he saw what we were doing with graded card review, he was crawling up my nose over at my booth. And Joe and I were good friends. We both played baseball. He's a good guy, good adversary. And he said, what are you doing, man? You know, he said, I said, we're reviewing. He, he understood that every time we cracked open a PSA card and put it into a BGS slab, their population report became less accurate. Over the course of 2003, we did probably 50,000 cards, moving them from PSA, SGC holders, other holders into Beckett holders because the customers wanted us to do that. Yeah, We didn't force them to. We just gave them an option. I love innovating and you do too, but you have something if you're sort of competitors, your peers in the industry, if they're going, I wish I'd have thought of that or wish you wouldn't do that. But I think Rock Card Review was a game changer. A graded card review, same thing. They were just additional things that the customer either asked for or would have asked for. Yeah, probably most of these ideas came from customers who said that's what we'd like to do. They just didn't know how to carry it out or carry it through. And so one other thing that we did, we, we really wanted to make the barrier to entry easier, even for current customers. Back in the day, I call them a graded card dealer. We called them Young Turks. Okay, because it was a new breed of, of dealer walking the floor, buying up lots of cards and lots, L-O-T-S, of cards and trying to get them graded and increase their value by 10 times all in one weekend. The 20-somethings, they didn't have the, the legacy collection like I had. I was older. If you collected in the 60s and 70s then and the 80s and maybe even the 90s, by the 2000s, you had all these cards you'd, and you could sell those. But if you were 20-something, you had junk wax. And so you had to be ingenious to figure out a way to enjoy the hobby you love. And so these guys really were young Turks. They were aggressive guys and they saw an opportunity and they seized it. Correct. And, and the, the term Turks was endearing and they actually knew we called them that. It wasn't a, a slight by any means. One of the problems they had is that our old submission forms that shows and most submission forms make you 
fill out one line item for each card. So if you had 100 Barry Bonds cards, you would have to fill out 100 lines, basically with uh, ditto marks under some of the things. But they'd have to start the night before in the hotel. It was a pain. We came up with an easy submission form to where all they had to do was sign a waiver at the top that says, hey, this is it is what I say it is. And so they, just, they had 100 Bonds cards. They just fill in 86 tops, Barry Bonds, quantity, 100, one line. And that saved them so much time. And it got us so much more dealer business because it just made it easier to submit. Yeah, I love that. The whole thing about all of our innovations, if you don't lower the hurdle, if you make it difficult for somebody to choose you for business or to do business with you, it's counterproductive. But yeah, that's cool. So yeah, are some of the young Turks still around? Did they grow up to be old Turks? (laughs) This is 20 years later. Yes, it's only 19, but yeah, 20 years later for sure. I'm going to name off a few of these names because I know some of your listeners are part of our grading crew. And so this is from memory only, okay? And I've got a couple of stories about some of these guys too. Brian Deere, Jason Koontz is definitely still in the business. Joe Tuttle, Solomon Kramer, I don't think he's in it anymore, but he may be a collector. All these guys may be collectors. Eddie Ying, Steve and Tom Bannis, the Bannis brothers. Brian Wentz, BMW. Anthony Fernando, Al Durso, Michael Chesnudis. Kent Sessions down in Houston. He would bring a, a brisket to Philip every time we did a TriStar show because he knew his way to, to the graders' hearts, although it didn't change the grades, but it did make them less hungry. <clears throat> Mike Souza, Neil Whitley Ross, which I'm convinced still was that was not his real name, and he admitted that, but that was his submission name. Kenny Golden was a big uh, customer of ours back then. Uh, well, Bob Grissett was Kenny more on the uh, BCCG, or was he yeah BVG? yeah yeah he was more not a yes sir yes as well mostly BCCG, yeah. and which is Beckett Collectors Club grading more of a mass market product. Got a couple more I want to throw out here. Bill Sleety. He's uh, Rob, I bought some cards from him at the last uh, show here. George Cruck, Russ Namaho, David Greenhill, and somebody did a lot of grading with his TriStar collectibles. They had the uh, that graded card product for a while. And so the, I was going to tell you a story about a BGS, a Michael Jordan <clears throat> 9.5 that we graded at the 2000 National. <clears throat> the submitters were Gino Yu, which is Y-U, and Johnny Zhu, which is X-U. This is the lesson we learned from the national. We put the last names of the submitters on the end of the box and put them into the safe and would pull them out and give them to the people. Now, after this show, we put the invoice number to where it was a number and not a name. But if you think about a guy quickly writing the last name, you, Y, you, and Zhu, X, you can see how it would be real easy to mistake one for the other. And so Gino, you submitted a Jordan, which came back graded 9.5. It was handed back to Johnny Zhu. So in the in the world that we live in on the show floor, we all know that sometimes greed can uh, override someone's you know best uh, interest. But to Johnny Zhu's credit, he brought it back, and we were able to get it to Gino Yu. And a very embarrassing for us there that day. It, it would have been a thousand dollar mistake in those days, not a hundred thousand dollar mistake now. <laughs> More actually, but yeah, wow. There was one that we missed out on, which I was really sad about for a lot of reasons, not to mention just personal reasons, but we had a chance to do a pedigree grading on the Larry Frisch collection. He ended up going with SCD grading and and he had a good relationship with those guys up there. And I understand exactly why he did it and why they would want to do it for him too. He's probably their largest advertiser for decades, not to mention he's a good guy. And I just wish that we could have set up a slabbing machine up there in the woods 
and uh, cranked away. You were there. I was there. But uh, that was wired from the beginning, I think. And I, I think he honored us by even talking to us and giving us a shot. But I think it was wired. But he had an amazing collection, amazing stuff. And yeah, that would have been the way to get it. But even then, to have Beckett North being in Wisconsin, something doesn't seem quite right about that. But they had an amazing operation up there. And and then SCD, I think, was a sentimental choice for them. But it, it, it probably didn't work out that well in the end. Hey, what about the card companies? Were you involved or was Slipka involved with the... Uh, convincing some of the card companies to do some graded product box toppers and different things where we had some bulk deals with some of the card companies? Yeah, I think Dave Slipko was more involved with that. There was hundreds, not hundreds, but tens and tens of good people involved in these shows. Not to mention the graders who work 14-hour days only to go out to the garlic rows and be treated to 19 entrees. There's some perks. Well, I think what they really wanted was a steak, but... Inside joke there, but these guys work hellacious hours and it was up at six to the show at eight and leave sometimes close to midnight. And I don't know if it's still like that or not. I haven't been to a national in a few years. I hope it is, Pepper. You were one of the guys that really helped build our esprit de corps. You were in the trenches with those guys and yet you were their boss in many cases, but you really helped build just all the team sports you've played and all the things you've done. You understand that if the team's all pulling together, that shared struggle is character building. And you were a big part of that. You didn't say, hey, it's five o'clock. I'm leaving. I'll see you guys in the morning. (laughs) I think I did that a couple of times. Not good. (laughs) I pulled my night hours in some other areas, but those card shows were a weapon. Yeah, they were. It was a lot of fun. And hopefully any of those guys that I mentioned their names, if, if they're still out there, I hope maybe they'll drop you a note and let you know what they're I'll doing. I'll see them. I'll see, I'll see, see uh, Bill Sleet um, this weekend. So thanks, Good. Pepper. Thanks for the walk down memory lane. BGS has a great legacy of products, but even more a legacy of people that really helped build it. Mark Harwell, you're right up there in the pantheon. <laughs> Pepper, thanks for, again, all you did. You were the jack of all trades in our company. You really contributed in so many ways. And BGS has got to be maybe the biggest feather in your cap, even though you were our first editorial employee. But BGS has been a great ride. And again, thanks for all you did to set the foundation. It's still going strong. Stronger. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Pepper.